Listener Production. I begin today by acknowledging the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording this podcast today. Also pay my respects to their elders past and present, and I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Welcome back to another episode of Black Matters. This is a podcast about First Nations matters and why they matter. My name is MC from the Hit Radio Network. Back with me again, land rights lawyer, First Nations advocate. In the last episode, she told us she's now officially a poet. She does everything. Wiradjuri and Walwyn woman and friend of, I think we figured out, 27 years. Teela, hello again. Yama, it's always so fun to be here having these yarns. And this week we're joined by my very good Tida girl, my Kajiri, my sister from the top end, Milil Mamey. Wana. Hello. So lovely to have you here. Um, did you want to introduce yourself and your work to our listeners? Yes, so I'm Malilma May from Uprising of the People and I'm a Gulenbringan Dungalaba Tiwi woman. So you do a lot of things. You're a very busy person, including uh, the CEO of Uprising of the People. So just explain to us what this organisation is and, and, and what you're doing. Uprising is a Dungalaba Gulenbringan charity organisation and our main goal is to heal, nurture and empower the relationships between country, elders and young people. So every step of the way, we want to make sure that our young people are connected to country and their elders so that eventually we can end youth incarceration in the Northern Territory. I I remember, like, it's pretty incredible. I don't even know how to explain it because you have been at the front line of legal advice and legal advocacy on your country. You've borne the brunt of being locked up on your traditional lands, fighting back against the colony. And can we just start there and maybe explain to people how that situation came about? Yeah, so in 2020, initially uprising began supporting the Walpuri mob after Kuman J. Walker was shot by police in his own home. And so we stood together with the Walpuri people and organised a protest. Then a good six months after that, that's when the George Floyd Black Lives Matter movement Mm. began and we saw this big uh, uprising of allies and grassroots activists coming together in Australia to demand better for blackfellas. It was then the uprising began to have this profile of being the organization that brought community together. That was really special. And behind the scenes was our elders comforting us, nurturing us and empowering us to be those young people on the front line. That movement then was very closely aligned with youth justice in the Northern Territory. We have a notorious legal system where young black children are penalised really brutally Mm. for either having disabilities or being impoverished or being the descendants of intergenerational trauma. And these things manifest themselves into youth incarceration. And in 2021, myself and three others were peacefully protesting in Parliament House or in the Legislative Assembly of the Northern Territory in the closed gallery 
which means that the members cannot hear you, let alone really see you because you're behind this double glazed So you're not really window. causing any trouble So you're whatsoever. not really causing, yeah, they can't hear you. And we stood up silently when um, Minister Yinya Mark Gaiola was delivering his speech that was opposing the introduction of these punitive bail laws for young people. He was the only minister of the Legislative Assembly that was opposing these laws that would see more young people locked up because bail was not going to be given so easily to young people anymore. Breaches of bail were going to be penalised more heavily, which for people who don't really have a legal background, you are presumed innocent until proven guilty. And so if you get charged with something, you are innocent until the judge says otherwise. And there's a moment where the judge can decide whether or not you are bailed and so you can live at home or at a certain address until your next court date where the sentencing happens or you can be remanded and the judge weighs up whether you're a flight risk or, I guess, danger to society. Danger to society. Yeah, and we'll decide whether or not you get bail or not. We were wanting young people to have access to bail because we don't believe in locking up young yeah. people. And we stood silently with our fists in the air and they called the police on us. Mm. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> so you're in a, a room where no one can hear you, not really drawing any attention to yourself, and there's just a few of you in that room silently with a fist in the air and the cops get called. Yeah. Mm. We were then asked to move on and we said, why not? Anyways, we ended up getting charged with trespass and breaching the orders of the Legislative Assembly. And there were like 10 police and some security that escorted us out of the building down this secret passageway. Unnecessary show of Unnecessary. force. I'm sure you were very dangerous. Unnecessary. And they were huge. They were yeah. huge. It was very scary. We were all shaking. There were four of us that got arrested and charged. We had these charges over our heads for 10 months. Mm. And we were going to court in that time. It was very scary. These big conversations are not in isolation of what our communities are experiencing on the ground. You're from a jurisdiction where there's mandatory minimum sentences of the laws. It means that there is a minimum jail sentence for some offences or some circumstances within which the judge has to sentence someone to prison. The fact that you were asking for more or demanding more reasonable bail laws because so many of our people as well, I think Australians forget this, so many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are locked up are locked up because they are refused bail, not because they're convicted of anything. They are innocent by the law at that time. If exactly. anything, you were, you were fighting a system that was becoming guilty until proven innocent. Absolutely. They were essentially trying to do the opposite of what they're meant to be doing. So as CEO of Uprising of the People, just explain what the organisation is, what you're doing in the organisation and, and, and how that works. So with the backbone of protesting, we've moved into this preventative action space. And within youth justice, we know that the people who our young people need the most are our elders. And so we have created a physical space called Billawook Gurinyi Community Centre, named after my great-grandmothers, which is a space for young people to come to and they can read, listen to music, play basketball, hang out, have a feed, as 
a third space which I talk about, like we have our workspaces, we have our home spaces or we have our school spaces, but our people need third spaces, these other spaces where we can just be safe and exist. So we created this community centre and we run programs with the intention of bringing young people, elders and country together. So we know that our young people will be empowered and nurtured and cared for when they learn about where their feet are and the land they're standing on and how they can connect to that place. But when they hear those stories from the old people who've been there before them, it's really my father wanted to make sure after this whole divide and conquer of whitefellas and colonialism that we regroup, we bring those generations back together. Part of the success of our work is that we aim to bring these different generations back together in spaces where they've previously been torn apart, either from stolen generations or through the intervention or even just through mindsets and racism that tells black grandparents and parents that they are not doing enough Mm -hmm. and that they are not capable parents. And so we're trying to undo that by having a physical space, but also programs that bring elders and young people together. And I love that your your new third space is named after your grandmothers. Like I think they're so much so profound in, in naming it that and what it stands for and its purpose. And so that brings us to something around how do we create these systemic changes? How do we start to dismantle these systems? And this year we're talking about the voice to parliament, systemic change, structural change as a step towards, I imagine, things like these reports and the recommendations being implemented. You're someone who's vocally uh, said you've changed your vote from this from a no to a yes. Are these some of the things that you have considered in weighing up all of the experiences on your country? Absolutely. The referendum is asking that we have a seat at the table and that that seat be kept there for a lot longer than legislations previously. Legislation can come and go with the change of each government. The constitution can only change by referendum, by a double majority, which means that the Australian people really have a say on whether they want these changes or not. I see the brilliance and the intellect in Blackfellas learning the white man's law so well that we were able to be like, hey, if we change this constitution in a way that enshrines our voice to parliament, then maybe we'll have a chance at having some more consistency in our voice being considered. Yeah, because there's currently no mechanism, right, to compel those governments to actually not only sit at the table, but hear what you're saying. It's a little bit more accountability. And we need to try something else Mm. to how things are already being done. Initially, you were considering voting no. Why is that? I was scared because I didn't understand what a yes would mean. And I didn't understand. I was fearful that a yes vote would somehow impact on my sovereignty Mm -hmm. or would somehow have negative repercussions for my people. And it was after years of conversations and years of listening 
especially conversations with Miss Teela here. <laughs> she can be very persuasive, this one. She can be very persuasive. Well, it was just logical. <laughs> it reached a point of simple logic. We've seen royal commissions come and go. We've seen bills and legislation come and go. We haven't tried this before. Mm. Why don't we try it? The no was really out of fear. Yep. Would would you say then that but you were almost thinking that you were giving something up or letting something go by voting yes, but in actual fact, by voting yes, this could be the first step to regaining something that has been lost? Yeah, and I think our people are brave people and that we're courageous people, and I think we're very brilliant at adapting. And so once we wrap our heads around the fact that nothing's going to immediately change overnight and we're not suddenly going to give this up or take mm. this away, and that it's actually just a mechanism for having a little bit more accountability mm-hmm. for our voices to be heard. It actually, like, you feel it a rest and an ease when you can see that and be like, yeah, I'm going to vote yes. This feels like the right thing to do. How do you think, from your experiences, that practically this voice will help First Nations people? I think... And this is why I established Uprising the way that I did. Mm -hmm. I was very aware that the very structure of Uprising itself can be a local voice. And that was really exciting. And I did that on purpose. I made sure that my board would be Gulenbrinken Dungalaba elders because I wanted to give them a chance to have a logo, to have an ABN, to have a constitution of a legit structure in the white man's law so that then we have become our own voice. We are now a body that can opt in or out of discussions. Two-part question for you. Do you find uh, that in the work that you're doing, are there a lot of people that are in the same mindset that you were before crossing over to the yes? Is, Is there a lot of no? And if someone's listening right now and they're like, no, 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 what would you say to those people? Um, there are definitely a lot of people who I would say not so much in a no, a hard no, but definitely unsure? in an unsure, confused, mm-hmm. neutral, not even, I don't think it's neutral. I think it's a fear-based confusion. Yep. To those people, I would say it's okay to be scared and it's okay to be confused. When choosing which option feels right for you, think about is your decision going to help create some alternatives and something a little bit new for our people, another option? Will your vote help us create more options for the children to come after us? And I said it on another podcast in the framework of choosing the least harmful option. Mm. And I truly believe that it's not a sad mindset to think about things in that way. I think it's a responsible mindset to have which option will I choose that has the greater benefit. I mean, you vote no, nothing will change. Mm. Tomorrow will be the the same same. as yesterday. And while it's not a one-size-fits-all solution, it's a potential solution. If we vote yes... We're going to wake up the next day and the work, again, just gets started. And I just think what an opportunity we have to make an impact on a new generation, um, especially with the obligations 
that are bestowed on us as people who have had the chance to have opportunities that those before us didn't have. And so there's a responsibility that comes with that, yeah. What a privilege to be able to have the power to vote on something that could have potential to create further change for the future generations. Yeah. It would seem like such a missed opportunity to go the other way. The harm of waking up on the morning of a no vote that fundamentally sat with me and made Mm. it a no-brainer which way to vote. Mm. Just I couldn't imagine waking up and knowing that the country had decided that our voice didn't matter. And we're pretty well-resourced people in terms of the connections that we have and often I'll talk about these kinds of issues in many different spaces. Like I spoke at a school last night to some students who were like, we can't vote. And it's like, you, this this should absolutely matter to you guys. You know, like, don't think that just because you can't vote, vote that you aren't equally important to this conversation. And that you can't have influence. Like, Hold have your parents those, accountable. Yeah, have Speak those conversations around yeah. the dinner table. Totally. And it's becoming over-consuming for, for our communities, isn't it? Absolutely. I think there's a way we can approach it that also actually will create better conversations between us and our country that we're all on. Taking those gaps away from those conversations and just sitting on the country wherever you are, really being there, feeling the ground underneath your feet or the cold breeze or the warm breeze wherever Mm -hmm. you are, but being able to then come back to what's real and what's around you. And those moments of deep breath, really absorbing what really matters. Because once you've made up your mind and you know that you've chosen to be on the more peaceful side of history, you don't need to engage in further conversations. Mm. You don't have to justify your decision. You don't have to try and seek validation for your vote, Mm. whichever way it goes. Feel comfortable in your decision. It's okay. And know your story. Mm. Lots of people go, you're a First Nations woman. I want you to tell me why. It's like, no, you're a non-Indigenous Australian. This should absolutely matter probably more to you in many different ways. You need to understand your story and what it means to live, work and walk on unceded First Nations lands and the story of grounding your feet in that country what does it mean to you? Why do you want to be part of this next chapter? And that is your campaign in this movement. And that's like, your connection to this country, mm-hmm. this ancient, ancient country. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. You don't have to be Aboriginal to have that. Exactly. And lots of people think, you know, because we have had almost over three decades now of this kind of reconciliation movement, let's feel good about talking about Indigenous stuff. And it's like, actually... This is crunch time now in terms of systemic change and the recognition of First Nations and actually you all need to be getting a little bit more uncomfortable with your status quo. And I think the shift in saying to people, yes, if you feel uncomfortable in these conversations, imagine what we feel like every day in this colony. Please start to bear the load when these conversations are happening because First Nations peoples can't respond to every single question and it's time for the 97% to step up to the plate. Look, ultimately, if we want this country to be a better place, it's a journey we've all got to go on together. Yeah. It's not for, mm. it's not for one group to do all the heavy lifting if we do it mm. all together. What's the saying? Many hands make light work. Mm. Yeah, and it's our obligation. We all live on this country. Mm-hmm. 
as the persons on this land where regardless of where you're from, it's your obligation to look after it, protect it, and also empower the children who this will be their country when they're older. Both Indigenous and non-Indigenous. Yeah, I think that's such an important like way to sum up the feeling and mm. the weight of history and what we're feeling now. And that as First Nations peoples, we can't do this alone. We do need allies. We're all in this together. Now, here at Black Matters, we are strong believers that language matters. Uh, I'm certain the person listening to this podcast right now isn't overly familiar with a lot of First Nations words, language. It's not really taught en masse in schools. So we like to wrap up every single week with a, a First Nation word. Last week, it was sunrise. It was Yirrabagara. Yirrabagara. Mel, as our guest this week, I feel like you can give us our word. Yes. So um, Dungalaba is the word. It is a Gulamurjan word, which is my language from Darwin, and it means saltwater crocodile. I've chosen that word because that is my one of my totems and is the animal for my clan group. The Dungalaba is an apex predator, is very, very patient. Oh. And the Dungalaba will sit under the crashing waves and wait for its time to hunt. I've always been told that we have to be patient and mm. the right time will show itself before we can make our move. Mm -hmm. I think this country is very much sitting under the lapping waves right now mm. as the Dungalaba. It is game time and action time to get what we want. And mm. I think we all know which way we should go for that. Yeah. <laughs> and I just was imagining when you were telling us about the Dungalaba and the story of patience when we swam in the salt water on your country. And look, I am not a crocodile girl. Um, Sounds terrifying. I, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. But no, 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 I felt you. so at peace with <laughs> Millie. It was the most beautiful sunset in the water. So thank you for being with here and reminding me of those moments as well, because reconnecting to those times brings us such strength in what's going to be a very big year. So thanks for joining us, Mel. Thanks for having me. You're doing great work on the ground, uprising of the people in the NT. Millie May, thank you so much for joining us on Black Matters this week. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Oh, my feels so cool. <laughs> should we group hug? Oh I feel like we gosh. should group hug. Yay. Yay. <laughs>